The scripture this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we ask now that you would soften our heart, open our ears, that we would hear you speaking to us, and Lord, that we would be different because of it. We ask this humbly in your holy name. Amen. Once again, good morning, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It's so fun to see so many of our uh, young people who are here from out of town today celebrating Mother's Day. Uh, yes, I'm looking at you, Garrett, and others. And uh, so it's, uh, it's great. Uh, it's a delight to have caught up with some of you already this morning. Well, we are in this series, whether you're here with us for the first time, uh, called I Believe in God, But. And it's a series where we're looking at the gaps between how we profess faith in God and how our attitudes or our thoughts or our lives would tell a different story. Today, we look at, I believe in God, but I don't forgive. And so, as we consider that this morning, uh, it's not an easy one. Someone asked me first hour coming in, okay, Rick, go easy on us today. Uh, because some of these things kind of hit kind of hard. And I want to, uh, but here's the deal. I don't think I can, and here's why everyone in here has been hurt. If you look around the room, we all are wounded people because we have been hurt by someone else. It may have been a parent who did nothing but criticize you as you grew up. It may have been a coworker who sabotaged a project and they got the credit, leaving you hanging. 
It may be a friend or a spouse who somehow betrayed you. And for some, I know, the wound and the hurt that you carry with you is something horrific like abuse or something else similar. Some wounds go so incredibly deep, they're very horrific. And and so I want to say up front, anything I say this morning is in no way seeking to minimize the hurt you may be experiencing, even today. Some of you are here this morning and you were hurt possibly yesterday. Some of you are walking in today and you're carrying with you a hurt that happened sometime this last month or maybe even years ago. The sad fact of living in a fallen world filled with sinful people like Dave and me and you and Jim and even Kathy is Jessica and all these others. Sinful people hurt other people. We live in a sinful fallen world. Even those closest to us Christians are still sinful and we will hurt and wound one another. It's inevitable To deal with that kind of hurt, what we need is the grace of forgiveness. It's the only thing that will heal that kind of wound. And true forgiveness is honestly one of the hardest actions you and I will ever perform. And so I am not minimizing this at all. Even little harms against us can be very hard to forgive, and the deeper the wound the harder it is for us to choose to forgive. Now, imagine with me for a moment that every morning after you get up and greet the day, you pick up one of these. This is not styrofoam. (laughs) The guys from F3 said, we have a plan for your life that can help you with these, Rick. Um, Now, imagine every morning you wake up and you're required to pick up this heavy load and carry it with you all day long. My arm's already shaking. And so you adjust the weight and you move it around and you try and make it more comfortable and you figure out ways to carry this so it's not completely inconvenient, but it still is. It's a burden. It makes you sore after a while. It even has the potential for hurting you the longer you carry this thing around. Now, what this is, is a grudge. Now, a grudge isn't just a heavy rock like this that's an inanimate object. A grudge is a living thing. It's no less heavy. And we have really interesting words for talking about grudges. You and I bear grudges. We carry grudges. Sometimes we even say we nurse a grudge, meaning that we feed this living thing and it grows and it gets heavier. The burden doesn't decrease as we nurse it, it actually increases. And we carry this thing around. And and I know you're thinking, no one in their right mind would wake up and say, another new day. Oh boy, I get to pick up these heavy things and carry them with me all day. And here's the sad fact of the matter, but we do. We, we carry multiple of them with us. We nurse them, we feed them, and we justify their existence. 
And sometimes they end up hurting. I told you they're not fake. <laughs> sometimes they hurt us, and sometimes we use them to hurt others. You see, there's a cycle that happens in our lives. Someone hurts us. The hurt leads to pain. The pain leads to bitterness or a grudge. Even Mayo Clinic says a grudge and bitterness, they're the same thing. It's just different words, synonyms. The author of Hebrews says it this way, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, bitterness grows in the soil of hurt. The soil of hurt is a fertile place for bitterness to grow up and increase. And our bitterness, you know it hurts you. You know your grudges and resentments, and they all hurt you, but it also, as Hebrew says, defiles many. They hurt others too. You guys, if you know your Older Testament, you've probably heard of Lamech. You'll find him in Genesis chapter 4. Lamech was a fifth generation son of Cain. Now, if you know the Older Testament, you know Cain was the first man who committed murder. He had a hurt. His hurt grew into hate, resentment, and pain, and he took it out by killing his younger brother Abel. God cursed Cain for being the first murderer, saying that he would be a restless wanderer all of his life. And Cain started to despair because he said, as I wander, someone's going to seek revenge on me. And so what God did is he placed a mark on Cain. And we don't know what that is. It might have been some type of tattoo. It might have been some other kind of mark. We don't know. But there was something that God did to mark and set Cain apart, signifying, and that would be a sign to other people, if you hurt Cain... Sevenfold vengeance will be done to you. Now, why in the world would God do this to Cain, who had just murdered his younger brother Abel? It's because the Lord was saying something very important for us in this context. No one ever is to take revenge on someone else. You see, what God was doing when he was marking Cain apart and saying, anyone who harms him, sevenfold vengeance will be done on you by whom? By the Lord. And what God was saying is, I am the judge. I am the judge who will judge justly every man or woman. And it's not your right and it's not my right to take revenge when we've been harmed. So now let's fast forward five generations from Cain to Lamech. Someone hurt Lamech, and we don't know what they did. We don't know how bad it was. We don't know why they did it. But what we read in Genesis chapter 4 is that Lamech goes to his two wives. This is the guy who instituted bigamy, first person ever to have two wives, and there's a lot of bad stuff that comes from Lamech. But he goes and he brags to his two wives, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain... My great-great-great-grandfather is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. You see, here's Lamech's law. 
You hurt me, I kill you. You wound me, I destroy you. There is no remorse, sadness, or anything. He is bragging about a young guy hurt me, and I took him out. This is Lamech's law. Hatred is good. Revenge is natural. And not only is it revenge, it's revenge 77-fold. You see, that's what bitterness, revenge, and hate do to a person. They make you a Lamech. And you may be saying, okay, Rick, well, slow down. I may admit to having some bitterness, and I may admit to having even some inclinations of revenge in my life, but I'm not a hater. Really? You see, we can so easily justify hatred because we don't want to think of ourselves as a person who hates. And, and, and I want you to realize there's culturally unacceptable forms of hatred, which is why we say we don't hate. You see, culturally unacceptable forms of hate include things like this, violence, abuse, revenge, racism, other forms of hostility. And we say, okay, I don't do those. Yeah, maybe I have some thoughts that aren't so good, but I'm not a hater. But there's a whole host of culturally acceptable forms of hatred that Christians all too readily embrace and say, we have a right to these things. Things like this, bitterness, resentment, coldness against someone else, wishing ill on them, gossip. If you're in a small group, come on, you know you've experienced this one. It comes in the form of a prayer request. Group, please pray for Matt. This is what Matt did to me. And then I throw Matt under the bus in the guise of a prayer request. He really needs your prayer, friends. What is that? It's gossip. What is it? It's hatred. It's a form of hatred. Rehearsing the wound, playing it over and over again in your mind, or even telling people about it regularly. Avoiding someone. You see them coming? It's not just mean. Call it what it is. It's hatred. And the reason we embrace these things is we've said, I have a right to this. You hurt me, and I'm going to carry this thing around with me. There's an old Chinese proverb that goes like this. If you're going to pursue revenge, dig two graves. Why? You are killing yourself in the process. I like how Anne Lamont says it, or writes it in one of her books. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. And why I love that is when somebody has hurt us, what we so readily do is we dehumanize them. They're no longer a person, they're a rat. They're a snake. They're a weasel. They're a cockroach who deserve nothing than to be squashed. And we drink the poison waiting for them to die. Peter, like Lamech, was hurt by somebody. 
We don't know how. We don't know who. We don't know the severity of it. And so Peter goes to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And this was a big deal because, you see, rabbis taught you were required to forgive somebody three times, and after the third time of forgiving the same events, offense, now you can take revenge. Now you have a right to your rock. And so what Peter does, he says, okay, Lord, I've doubled it, six, and I'm going to add one. Seven's a really good biblical number, right, Jesus? Forgiving that many times, that's, that's super special, huh? And what Jesus says is, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some older translations say 70 times 7. Literally, it's 77. And why is that important? It's not a mathematical thing to, okay, I'm going to count up to 77 times. Jesus is reversing the law of Lamech, who said, you hurt me, 77-fold vengeance coming on you. Jesus says, when you get hurt, 77-fold grace given to the one who hurt you. What is Jesus saying? My people, forgive always. Peter, you can follow the path of Lamech and let hate grow in the soil of hurt and it will destroy you, or you can follow my path, Peter, and forgive as you have been forgiven. Now, let me say this, because this is where we start thinking about certain scenarios and individuals. And no, we could take 30 minutes on this. I'm going to do it in a minute, so I'm not even going to cover it. But forgiveness is not these things. Forgiveness is not excusing, accepting, forgetting, tolerating, or even reconciling. Now, biblically, reconciliation is always the desired outcome. If able, it's not always possible. But when you forgive, you're not being asked to excuse the behavior. You're not being asked to accept the behavior. You're not being asked to just forget it. And, you know, sometimes Christians get confused because they feel like, well, God's forgotten my sins, right? No. The verse that says that, what it means is because God's omniscient. He doesn't forget anything. He treats you as if you didn't do it, though. You see, there's a big difference between forgetting it and treating you as if it never happened. It's not tolerating the sin, it's not necessarily reconciling it, because sometimes the trust has been broken so badly, reconciliation is not possible. Sometimes the abuse or violence is such that it is dangerous to reconcile, but you're still called to forgive. So what is forgiveness then? Forgiveness is an act of grace. It's a decision to drop the rock. The Bible talks about all kinds of ways to wipe the slate clean, to pardon someone, to cancel the debt, to stop the resentment, no longer nurse the grudge. And listen to me on this. This one's very important. Remember, forgiveness is not granted because a person deserves it. 
That's not why we forgive. We are not forgiven by the Lord because we somehow deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. That's why forgiveness is an act of grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. It's an act of love, mercy. The hurt may always be with you. Some wounds go so deep, the hurt will always be there. But what forgiveness does is it lessens the grip of that hurt on your life. You see, in a story that Peter is told, God is represented as the king. We are the first servant in the story who owe 10,000 bags of gold. Do you realize how much this is? In, in today's money, it's billions and billions of dollars. I think rather than thinking about it as a dollar amount, for a full-time wage, you know how many years it would take to pay off that amount? 150,000 years. Jesus is saying, our debt to our Heavenly Father is like an individual who somehow owes 150,000 years worth of full-time wages. It's, you can't pay it off. The guy's saying, be patient with me. Well, gee, I've, I've got to be really patient. You're going to die well before you ever make a dent in this thing. That's our debt to God that has been forgiven by Him in Jesus Christ. And the point is that when somebody sins against us, you know how much that amount is? It's something that you could have in your wallet and pay back. I'm not minimizing the harm or the sin against you, but in comparison, our sin against a perfectly holy God is a mountain of money. Some have said this is like double the amount of the wealth of the entire Roman Empire. It's an astronomical sum, and then the person who sinned against us is something that literally can be paid off in a timely manner. The point is, you have been forgiven such a large amount. What God has done is all that ledger against you, all that you owe, here's what he does. He pulls it out, he rips the pages out, and destroys it and says, it's done. You see, God doesn't excuse it. He doesn't tolerate it. He doesn't even necessarily forget it. Why? Who pays? Who paid this man's debt? The king did. In the story, the king pays the debt. The debt doesn't just vanish. Somebody has to pay it. The king paid for it. Your king paid for your debt and says, show the same grace to someone who's hurt you. Jesus, in this story, tells us forgiveness is not optional. He commands this of us. You see, we are to experience His grace to such an extent in our life that we share it freely. You see, forgiven people forgive. When we choose to forgive... We're saying, God, I let you be judge over this person. I let go. It's like Elsa. Let it go. Let it go. If you don't have little girls, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. (laughs) 
You release the offender of their guilt. You don't bring it up with them or others. You refuse to continue thinking about it and how they've hurt you and wounded you and how you have a right to your feelings about it. If possible, you seek reconciliation. And you know this from studies. Forgiveness is so good for you because embracing forgiveness lets you embrace peace. It lets you embrace hope and gratitude and even joy. It causes you to literally stop defining your life by this. You see, when you hold on to these things, this is now your life. Your life is defined by how you have been hurt. I've been rejected by people. This is my life. I've been stabbed in the back. This is my life. My life is now defined by my wound. And you see what happens in Jesus Christ is he forgives us and lets us redefine our life in him, not by our wounds. This is not an easy passage. I'm going to share with you a video. It's a longer one, but the story's worth hearing. A woman in our church named Kathy Beatty had to forgive the man who killed her husband. Sorry in advance if, it's, if it tugs at your heart. It does mine every time I hear it, but it's worth hearing. And I share it because if she can forgive, so can we. Let's listen to her story. One of our longtime faithful members was killed yesterday morning, uh, John Beatty. He was um, going to meet a friend to go riding yesterday morning, and he was hit by a driver under the influence. While John was a quiet man, he loved his church. And any of you who have kids, you know, he and Kathy have been teaching our two-year-old class for years. His fingerprints are all over this church. So he got up that morning and fixed everything that he uh, wanted for breakfast, his coffee and everything, and came into the bedroom and gave me a hug told me he loved me. I told him I loved him and just to be safe. And that was the last time I saw him. They said, um, Miss Beatty, your husband's been in a horrible accident. And I said, please let me know that he's okay. And all I remember was the policeman going, no. That's all he said to me was the word, no. The trooper would not leave the hospital uh, because I didn't have anybody there with me. He kept popping his head in and saying, Kathy, I'm not gonna leave you, I'm not gonna leave you. And that's when I started asking questions. How did this accident happen? He said there were pills all over the floor, that he had broken them open, that he was snorting them, and he was so high that he started coming in the other lane, and that's when he hit John. He was in the hospital too, just in a different method. Uh, John was upstairs in a body bag, and he was in the hospital getting help for his injuries. I mean, I hate to say it, but I was very angry. I was very angry that I was going upstairs to look at my husband in a body bag and he was going to get to go home because he actually got to go home that day after he got out of the hospital. I actually cried out to God. I said, I was angry at God, I'll admit it. I was angry at God for taking my husband. 
I said, why did you take my husband? Why didn't you take this gentleman? I can say today that I hated him. I literally hated him. And I remember the first court hearing that came up, the judge asked the gentleman, he said, how do you plead? And he went, not guilty. And then he turned around and he laughed at me, clearly laughed at me. So I stood up in the courtroom and I told him, I said, you can rot in hell for all that I care. And I marched out of the courtroom. I want people in our church to know how much those scriptures helped me, how much your words of encouragement helped me, how much your phone calls helped me. Because a lot of times when there'd be a knock at my door or I'd pick up the mail out of the mailbox or a phone call would show up, I would be sitting in my hallway falling apart. But I said, God, I'm ready to go home. I want you to take me now. This world is too hard. There's too much anger in this world. And I'm just ready to go home. But God wasn't ready. I mean, he still has a plan for me on this earth. My journey is not through. I just needed to trust him a little bit more through it. <laughs> and there were, I mean, the way I describe it, I was running to God. I was telling him what I was feeling. But at the same time, I was allowing myself to get in the way. And I can describe it as during those moments, you're running in the opposite direction that God wants you. But he clearly continued to hold on to me, to run after me and never let me go. I clearly knew through prayer that the Lord was prompting me, Kathy, it's time. It's time to get rid of all this anger in your heart and forgive, not only for yourself, but to totally forgive this gentleman for what he did that day. I took my children up in our loft area and I said, it's time for me to forgive. It has really changed me from the inside out. I said, I'm not the same person that I used to be and this anger is destroying me and it's not who I wanna be. I don't wanna have that kind of anger in my heart. I wanna have the love for others and show the love of the Lord everywhere I go, even if it means showing the love of the Lord to this gentleman. And both of my kids were in agreement with that, praise God. So even the people in the courtroom were gonna see how, how God carried all of us as a family through this. And when I got to that point, uh, I looked over at the gentleman and said, I have truly forgiven you. And uh, Brent Jones and Bob Ward and some of my really close friends were there in the courtroom that day. And they said, he shook in his chair. He had never known that type of forgiveness. And to see what God had done in my own life in removing the anger and the hatred that I had for this gentleman and to remove that anger to real, where you can clearly say, I have forgiven you. And that's what God does to us. I love that gentleman in the Lord that much to lift him up on a daily basis. I just want the Lord to change him from the inside out. He clearly has a drug addiction. I pray that the Lord will take this drug addiction, this power that the addiction has on him and his family. I lift his family up because all of his family members have been in jail and suffered addiction. I have never been so close to the Lord as I have been in these last two years. It's just like I clearly hear him when he speaks to me through prayer and through reading his word. And I believe that I'm going to see that man one day on this earth again or one day in heaven. I truly believe that with all my heart that God is going to change him and he's going to come to know the Lord as his Lord and Savior. And God's going to use him to change other people's lives with their drug addiction. I can't imagine what this gentleman feels. 
because he knows what happened that morning. He knows a man died, and it breaks my heart that he has to live with this. You know, I told God, I said, I wanted John back. I want him back. And uh, Sarah looked at me and she said, Mom, when you go to heaven, who are you going to see? Are you going to see Dad? Or are you going to see your Heavenly Father? And it really, it was like a knife in my heart because I just can't wait to be home with my Heavenly Father. What a day that will be <laughs> when we are home with our Heavenly Father. Kathy, thank you for sharing your story with us. There's so much there that's amazing to me. Her kids said how different she was after she forgave. They could see a difference in her. You notice how Kathy calls the man who killed John that gentleman? That's a forgiven heart showing grace. She can call him many other things, but she call, chooses to call him the gentleman. She prays for him. She actually empathizes with the fact that this man has to live every day with the burden of the knowledge that I killed a man high on drugs. You see, when you're defined by your hurt, your perspective is incredibly narrow. Forgiveness opens it up. Paul writes in Colossians 3, bear with each other, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave. If you think about all your sin, just take the worst of the worst and tick mark those in your brain right now. I know you have them. Okay, now you got all those. Now take all the little petty ones the bad attitudes and the selfishness and the idle words and the laziness and the sloth. Take all those sins and add it on top of it. Now, here's the really good news. You probably have 10 times more you don't even know about. <laughs> and you add that on top. And why is that good news? Well, one, you're far worse than you think you are. But it also means all of it's been forgiven by Christ. You see, in Jesus, all of your sin is forgiven. And he says, go and forgive as you've been forgiven. Paul says it again in Ephesians 4, get rid, here's a command, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. you know, friends, there's only one safe place for these burdens. Anyone here, don't raise your hand. Anyone tired of carrying yours around? You don't have to. You don't have to pick this thing up every morning when you wake up. You don't have to lug it around with you. And the one safe place to drop this thing is at the foot of the cross. Because at the cross, we remember both how much we need forgiveness and how much we ourselves have been forgiven. And then you can forgive others. If you want just, to, I know some people really want, tell me what to do uh, quickly. 
Start by remembering Jesus' command. You literally are called, commanded, forgive everyone who hurts you. Appropriate is grace. Here's all that means. It's a fancy word for saying, experience His grace to such a degree in your own life that His grace now defines you and you have nothing but grace towards others, not just your friends, but even your enemies. You show grace to even those who've hurt you. Sometimes you start by praying for him or her. And then you release them. You drop the rock. You see, what Jesus does in this passage he gives us a vision for what his church should be. Yeah, okay. He calls us to forgive everyone, even unbelievers. But particularly, think about this, and I encourage you to go read the whole chapter of Matthew 18 this afternoon. Matthew 18 is in the context of his church locally doing life together. What do you do when somebody sins against you? He, ha- he tells you exactly what to do. And that's where Peter asks him, so Lord, what do I do? How many times do I forgive then if I've gone to them and, you know, I've done this pattern? How many times? Jesus says, Peter, you never stop forgiving. You see, Jesus paints a picture of what he wants Stonebridge to look like, a community where grace flows so freely that there's nothing between us. Everyone has free passage in your mind. You're not giving the cold shoulder to somebody. You're not sitting in judgment over somebody. You're not running somebody under the bus with your gossip. You're not holding them at arm's length. You're not wishing ill on them. You've let them go so that this body is nothing but characterized by the love of God. That's His vision for you and me. So that when somebody walks in the door, they'll say, what what is your secret sauce here? Why are you people so different? I, I know what he did to you. How can you sit there and worship together? How can you sit there and do life together? It's because the grace of God defines this place and defines us. I'll end with this. You guys remember the terrible shooting in Charleston at Emmanuel AME Church? Nine brothers and sisters of ours were killed that day. And like all mass shootings, it was evil. But what came out of the tragedy in Charleston was something quite beautiful. And a lot of people didn't understand it. You can read about this online. You can, Time Magazine has a very long article about this. Not all of the families of the nine who were killed, but enough of them, showed up in court with the young man, and they said to him several things. One, We're not excusing what you've done. And we're going to seek justice under the law because your actions demand that. But we want you to know that we forgive you. We forgive you for your racism. We forgive you for your hatred. We forgive you for your violence against our family members. 
And we pray that you will come to the point where you repent and you come to know Jesus as your Savior so that you can fully know forgiveness too. What do God's people do? They forgive. If you're tired of carrying around the rock, I'm just going to say a simple prayer here before we sing our last song and give our tithes and offerings. And maybe you can use this as the first little step. Forgiveness, in my experience, it doesn't happen just like that. It's usually a process. We can ask our counselors whether that's true or not. But I think in my own life, it's usually a process. But maybe today you'll begin taking that first step just by praying with me. So let's, let's pray for the Lord to help us in this area. Father God, we ask that you would help us to choose as an act of our will, regardless of our feelings, to forgive those who've wronged us and hurt us deeply. Lord, I release them to you. And I ask that as I release them, you would allow me, even now, to begin experiencing the freedom that comes in you in forgiving others. Lord, with your help, and it will absolutely take your help, may I not dwell on the situation. May I not continue to talk about it and define my life by it. God, thank you for forgiving me all of my sin. May you give me the strength to forgive in the same manner. May your grace not just be defining of my salvation, but may your grace define my attitudes, my emotions, my will, my words, my actions to everyone around me. I can't do it without you. But I ask that today you would help me to drop the rock. In the powerful name of Jesus, my King, who forgives me. Amen.